You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is a podcast from comedianscomedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello there, I'm Stuart Goldsmith and this is the last Comedian's Comedian Podcast until September. Uh, We're going to be taking some time off to go to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. I imagine a lot of you are too. Uh, So I'm going to leave you with a fascinating one uh, for this short break as I discuss anger and compromise with a wonderful comedian, Mr Liam Malone. Well, tell me about Edinburgh then. What, when did you start writing that show? The show that you're going to do shortly? Um, kind of as soon as I'd finished uh, last year's. Because what has happened with my um, comedy <laughs> is... Uh, for, 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 several, from, for several years I was just doing a sort of kind of intellectualised whimsy whereby it was I was not generating very much stuff because I never sat down to try and write it would always some something would occur to me I'd make a note of it and I'd take it from there and so I had some set piece jokes that were very complex and very sort of clever and you know it, I was kind of relying on that kind of thing and then last year I thought I what if I just what if I just say everything that I've rejected for being too mean-spirited <laughs> or, 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 or too dangerous or, or bordering on class hatred or racism or things that make people recoil rather than... Because I, I was just trying to be charming and nice. So you just, my instinct was go on stage and, and, and try and make people like you. But I thought, I'll try it this way instead. I'll just be unpleasant. I'll just do everything I've... And, and I did that, and it worked so much better than anything I'd tried to do before. And it's just easier. Because I think I'm being more genuine to, uh, to who I actually am, and people actually respond to that a lot better. So it, it's quite easy now to write stuff, because every time I just have a... Th- you know when you have a thought to yourself and you think, oh, you don't think like that, fucking grow up. Yeah. Or, or, you know, you, 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 tell, you tell yourself off, you say, you're, you're, you're more evolved than that, come on. But then you write it down and do it as comedy. Yeah. It's an outlet for it. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's. Um... I'm, I'm just going to stop you because I think that bird might be a problem. 
Because <laughs> I think listening back to this, all anyone is going to hear is chung, 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 which is uh, a shame because this is exactly what the stuff I want to talk about. Well, I, um, can't, I can't tell you it again. Uh, no, that's fine. I will. As long, <laughs> no, as, long as like the bird is an okay. issue and then stops being an issue, that's absolutely fine. So you started off, you started off wanting to make people like you. Or f- like feeling that you had to make people like you. I think it. Was, I don't think I sat down and thought that's what I need to do. I think it was just an instinct because, I, you know, I and I don't know whether there's a lot of discussion about whether this is genetic or learned behaviour. But my one twin who just can't deal with people. I, I mean, I was basically him. Um, You're talking about an actual human twin here, as opposed to some sort of constructed. As opposed to a xenomorph. Uh, no, as as opposed to. Uh, uh, I didn't know if you were talking metaphorically about my one person can't deal with. Oh, the I stuff. see. No, you've, my, you've actually got I, a no, twin. No, I don't have a doppelganger. No, sorry. No, I don't have a twin. Sorry, the twin that my wife gave birth to, as opposed to the other. I'm twin. sorry when you said my let, twin. Let me start again. Let me start again. <laughs> In the beginning, some aliens begat the human race, and uh, <laughs> my wife had twins. One of them is um, they're, they're both completely different looking. Uh, they look nothing like each other, and one of them is very, very uh, gregarious and laughs at everything and runs around, loves meeting people. The other one just uh, uh, can't deal with anyone except me and the wife. Okay. And I'm like him. But I, I, I was always like him, um, growing up, etc. Um, very hard talking to people. It's sort of. It was only after starting to do comedy that I was able to actually have a conversation with people where I could actually look them in the eye during the conversation. Okay. Uh, everything up until there, I was just far too self-conscious to um, uh, to do it. I mean, I still am in, in, in sort of many ways. I mean, I remember when I first saw Frisky and Manish and before they were huge, and I was like, oh, I want to ask them where they're, where they're going to be on next. And my friend goes, well, just go and ask them. I said, oh, I can't. She's like, you've just spoken to, like, 600 people. Yeah. I was like, yeah, but that's easy. That's easy. That's not. There's no eye contact. <laughs> you're talking six hundred people. That's that's fucking easy as fuck. But so she had to do that for me, and I'm still very much. You know, it it's still. It comes back from time to time. And it's just. Ugh. So that's kind of how I. So when I started doing comedy, I kind of thought, you know. It it was just an extension of. God, it's the biggest cliche, isn't it? I tried to make people stop bullying me at school by making them laugh so they would like me. It's frustrating um, that you're not even allowed for that to be a backstory now without it seeming like a cliche. Jack D said it, didn't he? And he was like, <laughs> 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 But so that was your that was your origin, though, a version of that? It, it, I think it was that because if, if, if people are laughing at something you've said... It, it defers, it, it deflects them from thinking about you, doesn't it? It's like, you know, I, I, it, it, and I think my comedy was all just an extension of that. Just like, uh, don't look at me, listen to this. Basically, that was my where I was coming from, and I didn't want to get into sort of me, and I didn't do anything that was sort of uh, close to my heart. I didn't talk about. You know what, what, what sort of things that had actually affected me, or tried to make that into comedy. I didn't sort of. Uh, it was just all sort of whimsical stories. And then, it sort of in two thousand and eight, there was a great sort of storytelling boom, mm-hmm. and and a sort of explosion of whimsical comedy. And I thought, well, why don't I try and do that? 
And then I did this show that was just totally... Uh, this is something that happened to me and a girlfriend, and it was tragic, and it was it was just a true story about getting stuck. Basically, I got robbed by a stripper and had to live in the desert for uh, two week, two months. So, and uh, and so the show was about that. Okay. And it was all very sort of. I am so sorry I didn't see that show. <laughs> I would love now to be going. Oh, of course. Well, I, this I, is the robbed by a stripper it, bit. It's being revived in November. Oh, good. For the storytelling festival. Um, yeah. Uh, that's called In a Dead Man's Hat, folks. Yeah. Um, and that was all just totally, here's my heart. I cracked it wide open. Here's everything that's inside. And and that was like, it had its moments, but that was too far the other way. Mm-hmm. And then I just thought, of just and I just thought to myself, you know, I, I, it, it took so long to realise that I had to sort of mine the darker so I just mine everything that I put out of my mind. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's just... Because, you know, human beings are quite sort of... Uh, base, aren't, aren't we? We're just sort of like... Uh, there's, you know, there's... Um, the sort of intellectualised view of the way it's just a... It's just a sort of... Uh, pointless veneer. Um... So I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> everything I've said for the past five minutes. Um, well, yeah, I suppose what... But you basically, to get it back to what I was saying, um, yeah, I thought, well, just write down everything that you've rejected. And, and there was so much of it. There was just page after page. And I just... I had an instant fringe show. Because I thought, oh, yeah, there was that. And there was, oh, there was that other thing. And, and I just... It just didn't stop, and I had a, I had about an hour and a half in front of me, and I tried, you know, I'd, I'd started working through it at open mic nights, and it pretty much all worked. And so that was the easiest show I'd ever written. Um, I mean, you had to sort of give it a point and give it a circularity and give it a... Because I'm really anal about things like that. I know some people can just stop a show in mid flow and go well that's the last joke yeah <laughs> but you you want it to have a structure you want it I'm, to have a I'm satisfying totally, structure and I, and I take the piss out of shows that have a yeah I do have routines to take the piss out of shows that are like you, you know you know, like you, you you might have a somebody might have worked in a ketchup factory for a month and they'll think oh I'll turn that into an Edinburgh show and, and they'll call it Source Code yeah S-A-U-C-E and everyone go oh god I saw recently on Andrew Watts' Facebook thing he's had some situation where the police descended on his house because yes. he had a gun it was a toy gun yes. and I think you commented underneath it saying if you can find in that a parable that resounds about your own life bang that's an Edinburgh show yes. and that's exactly what it is isn't it yes. you go you you mine a, you get a, the smallest possible story and then go and thus my life somehow yes. yeah. you can do the last joke and say and that's a bit like yeah, yeah totally. and that's when I really knew that I, I title of the show yeah absolutely but I I, uh, I I like to write stuff like that as well though I make fun of it I, I want to write I don't want it to be as clunky as that but I do want to write something that is narratively satisfying yes. so you feel like the end is buried in the beginning somehow you have these pretensions of kind of yeah 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 I, I, if you can say something that just seems really Really flippant and stupid at the beginning, and then later on, it, it turns out to have been of massive significance. I'm, I, you know, I'm totally 
totally then you could look at the audience and, and go, can... ah, yeah. see, see how clever and brave I am. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, well, what I'm trying to do, well, the reason I use that now, because if I do 20 minutes where people are thinking, this guy's just borderline racist, then I'll come out with that point and go, and, the, and hopefully they'll go, oh, right, now we get it. Mm. Um, so, yes, I'm... I'm trying to use those tools to help me do stuff that is quite scary and, and, and daring. And, and I mean, this year I'm just trying to... Last year I was just trying to go through all the things you weren't supposed to talk about, like Islam and... Um, so was, was last year's show the one, the first time you tried writing down everything you rejected? Yeah, that and I did one. it okay. on the free... Uh, the laughing or whatever, I can't remember which one's which, I don't care, fucking politics. It, somewhere... <laughs> the the pirate festival the laughing horse because I wasn't um, I wasn't uh, convinced that it would work at all mm. and and it and it really worked very well and what everyone said was oh, shame about the venue okay. um, so which wasn't laughing horse's fault it was just well you, you know what it's like free sure. people walk in two minutes from the end and there's scraping chairs and there's very difficult to actually get the structure of a proper and the concentration holding that concentration but it was good in a way because I knew that if I could hold their attention in a place like that where they'd invested nothing and they could just walk out if they were Mm -hmm. bored then I knew that it actually uh, you know it actually did work so your experience of doing that show was it as simple as you you wrote down in advance the things that you Dent say yeah. you said them all, and it worked. I mean, Th- were there presumably that, that was I'd a- thought. Um, I think just things that annoyed me. A lot of it was things that other comedians had said that I just thought, oh, shut the fuck up! How just grow up? And I, and like, and, like and, what? And Can you give us some examples? Because I'm a coward, I couldn't say it to their face, but I okay. t- I turned it into a joke. Um. As an example, well, if see if I say, then they'll recognise their work. <laughs> okay. Okay. Somebody said to me, oh, "I, I, I, I love Muslims. I just hate religion." Uh, well, no, specifically, I said I love Muslims, but I hate, I hate Islam. And it's as simple as that. And I said, "That's that doesn't make any fucking sense at all." <laughs> So you're, what you're saying to that person is, I love you as a person, but I hate, I hate everything that defines your personality, your traditions, your your way of thinking. Sort of like saying, I I, I love bananas. I just I just really hate potassium <laughs> and, and the colour yellow and, and all organic plant matter. And it's that sort of. I've got this real thing about that sort of hardline rationalist thinking that wants to take the ghost out of every machine and go, yes, this, but not that. You, when you say you've got a thing about it, you're anti it, or that's your... I, I, I it just pisses me off. Yeah. It pisses me off. Every time Tin Minchin opens his fucking mouth, I get fucking angry. And that's what I'm trying to channel these days. <laughs>
So thanks for tuning in to this interview with uh, Liam Malone. This is a fascinating conversation I think we have, uh, the nature of compromise and what it means to be uncompromising, as, uh, as Liam is often referred to. That's not a claim he makes himself particularly, and I think it's quite interesting throughout this interview picking out Liam's worldview, which is very much, he, he doesn't see himself as a confrontational, quasi-political comedian so much as just someone who is trying to say the unsayable and, and trying to describe the things that make him angry. Uh, uh, the things that make him angry in the world of comedy, in the world of the comedy industry, and in the political world. Um, after Alan's podcast last week, Alan Cochran's one, which is great. If you've not downloaded that one yet, please do. Really fascinating. Um, we talked about Alan's attempt to work in a very different medium, the one-liner. And now we're going to be talking with Liam about quite a radical change that he's made from the way he used to work, from his intellectualised whimsy, and how he overcame the fear of saying contentious things and also the, the other ramifications of that when you are prepared to have arguments, uh, being prepared for people to disagree with you and, and Liam's reaction to the people who misunderstand or understand but take against uh, his particular brand of polemic. Um, the pros and cons of explaining yourself and there's some very interesting thoughts about why he'd rather be accused of fascism than being boring. Um, by the end of this conversation, we, we are trying to di- discern whether it's possible to, to, or whether Liam is interested in approaching such topics in commercial clubs. Uh, and he's got some very, very interesting things to say, a particularly interesting angle on how audiences and commercial clubs can smell who you really are and, and they can smell it if you try to be something you're not. And an interesting solution that Liam finds to that. Uh, we'll talk, talk about writing for other comedians as well. Liam's written for Henning Vane and Andrew Lawrence, so we'll be discussing that. Uh, and also a fairly unusual booze-based system of, uh, of getting work done. So if you're going to be at the Fringe, Liam Malone's show is called A Land Fit for Fuckwits and it's on 3.30pm daily at The Stand, although double-check because I think some of those times change over the course of the month, but uh, the majority of them are 3.30 at The Stand 3 and 4. Um, that's a land fit for fuckwits. I'm going to be seeing that. I heartily recommend you do too. And of course, if you're up at the Fringe, come along to the Comedian's Comedian Live at the Gilded Balloon in a little room called The Turret. It's only a 50-seater, so it's going to be rammed, I hope. Um, and that is 12.15pm weekends, so lunchtime, Friday, Saturday, Sundays. And here's the full list if you've not had it before. On the 3rd, 4th and 5th, we've got Sarah Pascoe, then Fred McCauley, then Josh Widdicombe. On the 10th, 11th and 12th, we have Alan Davies. And I saw Alan's show. Uh, I saw him do a pre Preview at uh, Old Rope on last Thursday night at the, the Phoenix, and it's a it's an incredible show. I hadn't seen him do stand up for so long. I don't think anyone has, and uh, apart from the Australians, of course, when he, he started last uh, last year, and he, he is just so funny, so naturally funny. He reminded me of a cross between Mickey Flanagan and Alan Cochran in that way that it's very difficult to write down the stuff he said, and and it it, do, it wouldn't seem funny on the page. It wouldn't seem funny coming out of anyone else's mouth, but he inhabits it so completely. Very exciting. So he's on the, the 10th. On the 11th, we have the boy with tape on his face, which I cannot wait for. And on the 12th, the wonderful Rob Broderick from Abandaman is going to be talking to us as well. 17th, 18th, 19th, we've got Pappies, we've got Hannibal Burris and the fabulous Eddie Pepitone. I'm, I, I, I'm, try, I'm struggling not to uh, say all of these people are brilliant. Just take my word for it. They're all amazing. Uh, and on the 24th, Rod Gilbert, the 25th, Terry Alderton, and the last show on the 26th, a special mystery guest. Those are all at the Gilded Balloon at 12. 15 you can get tickets via the website comedianscomedian.com of course i can't let you go without mentioning my own show prick which is 7 30 p.m at the pleasant's courtyard i really enjoyed saying prick then my own show prick 7 30 p.m at the pleasant's courtyard i think that's gonna be a lot of fun and keep listening at the end for some other recommendations of other people's shows that i think you'd really enjoy at the fringe 
now, please. Uh, oh, not please. No, oh, I just thought to myself, should I stop and edit this? I don't have time. I've got to get a train to Edinburgh. Please enjoy the rest of my chat with Liam Malone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So when, so to look at the writing of that, when that exchange took place between you and this other comedian mm. and it lodged somewhere, what's the next step in the process for you? Do you just go on stage and talk about what you're angry about or do you make a note of it or do you come, do you sort of try and pick it apart and write funny things around it? What's, um, what's your, what's the next move? Well, I'll probably sort of mull it over and over and over on the train ride home or whatever and then I, when I get home I'll try and put it into some sort of uh, form on a page okay uh, and yeah. when you're, you're miming typing there so you're this is you mean like physically I'm just interested in all the all the little details like yeah, yeah, what colours yeah. your notebook you know what I mean so you come back and you, you use a com- you write on a computer most often yes I, you, I write here um, if I, I anything with a small screen I can't write on and I can't I kind of forgotten how. To, I think a lot of people have forgotten how to use handwriting these days. Yeah, I really have. <laughs> I, do you know what I wrote I the other day? I wrote the letters at a t, and I went, "Oh, that's weird," because yeah. always, whenever I've been writing, I've just abbreviated it to the at symbol. Yes. Like, and I just kind of looked at it and went, "Oh, that looks wrong." Yeah, and I can't. I mean, like Henning is always fucking, you know, dictaphoning, um, which I find very impressive. Uh, but I can't do that. It's. Uh, no, I just have to keep it. Like I keep it in my head. You sort of keep it cooking, and you just rephrase it in your head. And then by the time, you, by the time I type it, it's usually sort of half okay. there. Um, because it's mostly it's it's the rhythm of the words, isn't it? More than more than what the words say, it has to come out. It has to have a sort of talk to me about that. Well, it's you know. Uh, um, if you read a sentence, think that's a beautiful sentence. It that will be more than the sum of its parts. It won't be. It might have good words in it, and it might be. They might be formed around a very in, interesting thought. But if you, if you when you when you have those moments, that's a beautiful sentence. It's it's because of the rhythm of the sentence. And if you were to actually um, break it down, you would find that it probably. You know, it probably conformed to sort of some sort of iambic rhythm. Okay. Um, okay. So, and and thus for comedy, you mean as well, in order to get a laugh from it, or in order to say the thing that you mean well. Like, what's what's your predominant? What's your overriding concern? To take this thing and make it funny, or to say what it is that you mean? Which which is most important? Uh, I I ask because you strike me, and you're always described as uncompromising. Am and I, I think, yes, I, I think of you as uncompromising. I've read a review of you that said you're uncompromising. I think that's a... Oh, I've compromised more than I can possibly explain. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe when normal people say I have two children. <laughs> I'm a monument to compromise. <laughs> 
But you say what you mean. You're not afraid to. Uh, you're not afraid to say Tim Minchin pisses you off. I don't know how much you bump into Tim Minchin in your daily gonna, life. Come on, I'm not going to meet Tim Minchin, but if I do, I'm quite happy to tell him. He, he doesn't care. He's a millionaire. No, absolutely. <laughs> well, he may not care, but you know, you, the, uh, maybe that maybe that specific example is a sidetrack. But you, you know what I mean? It's like you don't really seem to care what people think. Do you think that's true? Uh, no, I do care what I, I, people think because, as I said, I, I, I've always been very because I've always been very shy, I, and uh, you know, I, I've often come away from conversations going, "Oh, that ended a bit weirdly," mm-hmm. and I'd have to, you know, run it through my head over and over and over again, thinking, "Did, did I say that in a in the wrong way?" and just and and I think being kind of OCD, which I was. Um, having to analyse everything, I have to worry about every exchange with every human being I ever met, I did kind of reach a point where I was just so exhausted that I had to say, I just don't care. I just don't care. And, you know, I, if people know me, then they know that I'm not malicious. And if I've pissed them off, I have to just not worry about it too much. But, you know, I, I, I do, because I'm still very OCD, and I still think, oh, God, I'm upset. I hate upsetting people without meaning to. It really annoys me. <laughs> you hate um, upsetting people without meaning to. Yeah, <laughs> That's no, no, a, spe- no. a very I'm, specific qualifier, I'm isn't it? I'm quite happy to piss people off because I think they're dicks, but if I, the, nine times out of ten, I usually annoy someone for, for reasons that I have no idea about. I don't even realise it's happening. Okay. And uh, I just realise they're not talking to me anymore, or... Or not booking me anymore. Uh, <laughs> that's usually what happens, and I I have no idea what what happened there. Um, but I do get very annoyed. I get very annoyed with how cowardly a lot of comedians are. That they just, you know, that's. I mean, I. Go on. <laughs> Well, this comedians who call themselves political, well, they don't discuss anything that's difficult. They just say, "Oh, Cameron, he's a cunt." Yeah, well, that's you know, we most most people agree with you. Yeah, it's um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not totally on the side of because I think people like Steve Bennett think that comedy ought to be about constantly pushing out envelopes and constantly finding new ground to cover um, and I don't think that's what it's all about but I I don't know I, th- I think you either do it as a job or you do it because of some sort of messianic impulse Okay. and if you're not if you're not doing it to support the wife and kids which I'm not because it doesn't uh, I have to do it for the other reason so if you're going to do it for that reason, I think you have to. I think you have to be, you know, absolutely a bit of a zealot mm-hmm. about what you're doing. Um, so do you? Find- but I'm talking entirely to myself because I was just so fucking afraid for for, for so long about saying anything that was <laughs> contentious, know, contentious, or, or made a point. Um, That's interesting because I've no. I mean, I I seen you around the circuit I've gigged with you occasionally over the last I mean I've been going seven years I've probably bumped into you five years ago and you never struck me as someone that was 
trying to please or trying to avoid contentiousness or something like that. Do you think that's... Is it as, is it as clear-cut as that? Is it more that you're now... Or, I mean, has it been a, a, a kind of a, a journey towards saying whatever the hell you want? Or has it been... Is, is there some moment that's changed more recently where you've gone, actually, I can't be bothered with this anymore? When, when, it, when was that moment? I, well, I, um, just before... Um, when I started writing last year's show... Um, because it just started as an experiment and then it was just so much easier and we sort of we never see ourselves as other seers but but when I read reviews describing me when I was doing my other sort of stuff I just I just read, read these reviews and think that's not me is that really talking about me but then when I read reviews when I'm doing the sort of pissed off don't give a fuck stuff I read the reviews and think yeah they've got me pretty well Okay. At least I'm not annoyed by it. Sure. I don't think I'm quite as. What sort of things were the previous reviews saying that made you annoyed? Well, just... that you felt didn't represent. Oh, you're asking now. It's. Uh, uh... I don't know. I don't know. That's that's like when you have an argument with a girl, <laughs> and, she, and you go, "You're always doing that to me." And she goes, "When? When am I?" Yeah. Go, oh, I don't know. Fine, 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 fine. I'm not trying to catch you. Up. I didn't write. It <laughs> but it would just sort of be. I would always keep getting described at in terms of like the fact that I used to dig graves and I used to be an obituarist. Yes. And say that oh you know oh he's as grumpy as you'd expect a grave digger and I wasn't being grumpy <laughs> I was being fucking sunshine trying to be and I thought well I'm trying to be quite upbeat and I was doing you know stories about jellyfish and mice and <laughs> you know the, the usual upbeat the usual topics <laughs> upbeat whimsical things and I thought really you just keep coming back to the grave digging and the obituaries and I thought well fuck it I'll just be you know, I'll just mind the will self part of my mind, and then at least you'll we'll both be on the same page. What do you mean exactly by the will self part? That's, well, I picked I, that... him because he used to be a grave digger. Um, okay, okay, but it's, I mean, I didn't know that. But there's, there is, there's, like, I think of will self as someone who is very, very literate, very verbose, who might be opinionated, who might see a darkness in the world or be able to describe a darkness that other people can't see. And those things seem to chime with how I see you. It just seems like a particularly apposite example to talk about the Will Self part of your mind. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I went to see Will Self at the Literary Festival at Edinburgh this uh, last year, and, uh, and it, it was a kind of warning because it was like... I mean, everyone was laughing along to everything he said, going, oh, you're very clever. But there were times where you thought, oh, God, you're just so vanishing up yourself. And it's like, when you write that densely, mm. you just... I mean, you, could, you couldn't approach that density in comedy no, anyway. Okay. But there are times where I look at the audience and I think, fucking hell, I'm, I'm not doing material that lives and breathes I'm just I'm like I'm like I'm like one of those fucking machines that that, that mix wet concrete and I'm just pouring it out over people and uh, yeah he is uh, I do think to myself it's all getting a bit well self um, <laughs> um because it's just I, I you know I do I, I I've I've sort of accepted 
and it's taken ten years that I'm doing the sort of shows that people a lot of people will just hate they'll either just they'll get the wrong I and, and it's so it first happened in at the end of the road festival where somebody started tweeting everyone saying that I was a hate-filled snob and an enemy of the people and oh and that he was going to do everything he could to make sure I never played that festival again and and my first wow. impulse was to uh tweet him back saying you I, th- I think you've sort of not understood that it's comedy okay okay <laughs> i don't actually believe every word that i say when i when i say that kids should be shot in the legs for rioting i don't actually want to go out <laughs> and do it myself okay i'm just putting it out there how had the rest uh, of that gig gone down had, had everyone <laughs> go, on, go on everyone else got it Yes, well, that's what I was going to ask. But it, okay. it is a very liberal Guardian Reedy kind of festival, so it kind of, you know, it kind of jarred. It, it was kind of meant to, because it was, you know, you'd like... It, it's good to have variety at this sort of thing. Um, well, then, I mean, then I thought to myself, this is actually a brilliant reaction. This is actually exactly what I should be getting. People ought to be allowed to misunderstand it. Yeah. Because it just makes... You know, if I can get to the point where I can actually draw a crowd and then they do divide into two camps, then the, <laughs> the camp that does get it are going to feel uh, a lot more clever about themselves. So you feel you feel happy to... I actually felt that he understood me better than people who try and write nice reviews and just bang on about things that are irrelevant. OK. He understood you because... Because he, it made well, at him angry. least he bothered to have. I mean, he left before the end. When yeah, I do a lot of stuff where people are thinking, "Oh, this is awful," and then there's a denouement, and they go, "Oh, yeah, okay, sure, sure, fair sure. enough." He left before that happened. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Which is always a problem. Um, if you do a show where uh, you know the beginning and the end chime off each other, if they miss either end of it, it's uh, it's always a problem. But but still, I thought, you know, fair enough. If that's how you want to see it, that's absolutely fine. I don't mind being a fascist. And I'd rather be called a fascist than boring, um, which is how people used to react to my attempts at intellectual whimsy. <laughs> <laughs> So your new show, um, born of what more stuff that you didn't dare say, or I mean, what, what's the relationship between your new show, the one you're writing now? I mean, is it? Oh, well, I say writing. Is it? Is it written? Is it finished? Or are you? Um, well, the, the last show, I was just trying to run through all the things you couldn't say, like use uh, Islam. Uh, there was a bit about women. <laughs> that, that was a very portentous description of that. But he sort of played with the idea of, uh, um, well, it sort of, it sort of played off the idea of that you know various people who have said that women are, are are fantastic and that they are the stronger species, the more intelligent species, uh, that, that if they ruled the world they would have done such a better job in the last 200,000 years of civilization, and and it was agreeing with that wholeheartedly and then contrasting that to uh, Watford High Street on a Saturday night where all you see is people in 
bedding their fingernails in each other's eyes. Just this horrible montage of vomit and thighs and claws and saying, you know, (laughs) (laughs) try and look at that and say, yeah, these people should rule the world. And it was playing with that deeply misogynistic idea, but, but saying sometimes you have to ignore the evidence of your eyes. Sometimes we can't be empirical. Mm-hmm. Because I think women are greater than men, despite all the evidence we're seeing every weekend. Sure. Um, and that was that was a way of saying sometimes we have to believe in things, even if you can't believe them, whether they're God or love or you know Team GB's chances in the Olympics. You just, <laughs> you just have to believe sometimes. Um, that was, but I was taking. I was discussing everything you're not supposed to talk about in trying to make some sort of point out of it, like uh, racism, misogyny, um, Islam. Uh, whereas this year, I'm, it's just about the idea that some people aren't allowed to talk about some things, like okay. white people aren't supposed to talk about racism. Mm-hmm. Um, makes everyone instantly uncomfortable. Uh and it, you know, and, and people like me with my voice aren't supposed to go on stage and say that the working class are a bit rubbish. Uh, and <laughs> and how have you? How have you? But but you are if you're working class. People have said to me, you can't go all posh boy and say the working class are a bit rubbish. If you were working class, then you might get away with it. And I was yeah. like, well, how are the working class supposed to know that they're a bit rubbish? They don't have the education. <laughs> and, just pushing those things as far as I can. Um, and, and the idea that people without children aren't allowed to say, well, I don't think there is a problem with paedophilia. Mm. How do you? How would you know you haven't got children? That kind of mum's net sure. mania that has gripped a lot of uh, parents. Um, and it's just that, really. And it's just... Um, it's about because you know I think that Britain is pretty fantastic in many ways and I think that we are kind of crippled by shame and a sense of shame for our past and shame about whether you can say this or you can't say that and and, and I kind of when I had children it just I suddenly felt really angry not because children had ruined my life but because <laughs> I thought, well, I've accepted this for myself, this sense of post-colonial shame, but I'm not going to accept it for them. They don't even understand these things. They don't know yet that... They haven't assumed that black and white people are different in any way. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they're going to have to learn... They're going to have to learn... They're going to have to be told at some point that everyone is equal even though they would, left to their own devices, assume that. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have to be told that there's a problem because we used to run the world and now we don't and everything, and you know, and this complex, awful thing. And, and it's just... The whole show was like, how can we feel good about being British without... and get away from this just this centuries of 
of awkwardness and shame. And because I start discussing racism at one point, and I and then I go, look, you're all looking very, uh, you're all staring at the ground. I, I I know what you're thinking. You're thinking I don't mind comedians discussing racism, but I'd rather it was coming from Shabby or Sandy, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, not that she's any less English than you. She's absolutely the same amount of English as you are. It's just that she's brown, and that makes it. Is she brown? I haven't noticed that she's brown. <laughs> Someone told me that she might be brown. Is this making it worse? Is this making it worse now? Um, and just trying to make those interior monologues exterior and saying, like, what the fuck? Haven't we reached the third age yet? I mean, yes, we know that there are racists, but amongst amongst fucking decent, normal, well-adjusted people, mm. we should be past this. We should be moving past this. Because it's just... It's getting to the point where I just... I, I just thought that the, I was every so many people in comedy are trying to mine the same narrow strip of fertile land mm. that's okay to talk about. Mm. There's all this stuff, there's vast acres and fields and tundra that is untilled because no one wants to go near it. Um, Do you think there is a, a commercial place for that sort of stuff? commercial place. Yeah, do you think it's that... It's never going to fly at Jonglers. <laughs> well, that's kind of what I'm asking, yeah. Um, so... God, no. But you are motivated more by a desire to say the unsaid things or to, to, to till think, that untouched tumble um, than you are to, to play... You know, than to, than to play commercial clubs. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I have stuff that you know. I played a rugby club the other day, and it's fine. I've got stuff that works there. Sure. Um, but what I'm interested in doing, and for doing shows, I want to. I think every comedian that I really like, on some level, is driven to try and make the world a better place. As wanky as that sounds, mm. but there is some kind of impulse to improve things. And Could you give me some examples of who you mean? I'm not asking for your work yet. <laughs> Prove it. Uh, what I'm saying is, who do you meet? Who on the circuit do you think is, is an example of that? Who do you find inspiring or do you find... Oh, God, that really is... Um... We can cut out all of the thinking time and <laughs> make you sound very Well, I, I'll just go to the most extreme example. I mean, you know, someone like Doug Stanhope, you know, he just seems to be a drunken, bitter cunt, but at the heart of it, I think he's saying you people who think you're making the world better are actually just making things worse. Mm. Um, whether, you know, whether they're Christian fundamentalists saying that, you know, the, the severely disabled shouldn't be allowed to die, mm. or, or people, you know, trying to make uh, drugs illegal for the sake of our children. Mm. You know, they're actually... They're, he's basically saying that you, you take the broader picture, they're... they're, they're their their some effect on society is negative, um, mm. and you know that's that's kind of what I'm trying to do. But I've realised I can't ever be as blunt as he is because I wouldn't get away with it. I don't think I don't think you can start doing comedy in, in and have that kind of style. You kind of have... What I like about Doug Stanhope is he never explains. He says something that might be... You could take to be racist. You kind of have to trust him that it isn't. 
and go with the joke. Mm. Whereas in England, I think you have to kind of explain yourself as you go along. Yes, you've you got to, to put disclaimers in. I don't mean to say blah 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 blah, blah because you can't. Tr- you can't. Everyone is just so they've got this kind of McCarthyist fucking red scare going on in liberal comedy where people kind of assume that you're racist unless you prove otherwise yeah and i've done whole things where people have said well if you put that at the end they'll have liked you by then yeah they'll have trusted you by then yes and so i've put the dangerous bit at the end and you know what that they haven't yeah they haven't trusted me they've gone along with it they've decided they like me and then they go oh hang on Hang on a minute. Is this like is this like that thing that we've been entrapped? <laughs> is this like that thing that happened when I visited Australia and I talked to someone who seemed really nice, and then he just suddenly <laughs> came out with this horrific bit of racial abuse? And you can't. People are so wary. Um, and so what I'm having to do is construct a whole show where it's like um, where 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 actually the denouement is so. Well, if we're not racist, then how about this for a solution? Okay. Uh, I don't want you to give the game away because we're all going to come see your show. (laughs) It it, it is trying to just stretch being PC as far as it will go until it breaks and say, well, okay, shall we all live like this? Um, Because at the end of the day, I mean... I've always thought that racism is a kind of it's a kind of stupidity, isn't it? I mean, and, and it's a weird kind of stupidity because people say, you know, because you can't. It's not something that that, that is defeated through learning. Like it's, it's simplistic to say, oh, when everyone's educated, when we have the kind of education system that we. Mm. that we ought to have then nobody yeah. will be racist but it's not like that racists are kind of people who who learnt a very small part a very small bit of info a, a long time ago mm-hmm. and it's inoculated them against learning anything else <laughs> <laughs> people who genuinely people who have uh, had no schooling at all who have grown up in council estates where black and white people play football on the same they seem to be fine and people who are really well educated uh, and have learned through facts that all people are created equal, they're fine as well. It's just people in the middle mm. who've done a little bit of schooling and have learned a little bit that are just, you know, they're the ones that tend to soak up what the Daily Mail says. Um, Although that's a bad example because that is the biggest selling newspaper amongst ethnic minorities. Is that right? It is. Um, and it is a complex... It is it's complex. It's a very complex thing. But it, it does seem to me that people who are who have had no schooling, they seem to be pretty cool. And people who have had lots, they, they're pretty cool. But it's everyone in the middle. Most, pe- most people in the middle are, are sort of... Thankfully... After what New Labour has done to our education system, we're now less racist than we ever have been because people are so stupid now. <laughs> or they're very well educated because they've had to find family money to to, to know anything. <laughs> the middle is just disappearing, and that's kind of a benefit from <laughs> Tony Bear's campaign of public stupefaction 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 well I should put that you just called him you just called him Tony Bear 
Tilly so, Bear. Yeah, That's because yeah. we were just talking about Paddington. <laughs> we were just talking about Paddington, weren't we? Yeah. So who's stupefied now? <laughs> well, God, can you imagine if he was Tony Bear? And he, <laughs> did, he just had a. He was an, he was an immigrant from Peru, and he he had a big floppy hat. We wouldn't you just have more respect for him when he witted on about immigration? You'd say, well, fair enough. You are an immigrant, Tony Bear. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, yeah, this the latest Fringe show is about saying what you what you personally aren't supposed to talk about, mm-hmm. like you're this, and therefore it's about fighting predeterminism, really. And I, I sort of rail about things like EastEnders because I think that is a program where because because the producers say it's all about family, it's about. F- Strong family bonds, yeah, and and all it is is parents passing down the idea that because they achieve nothing, you won't achieve anything either, and it's absolutely, you know, that that is one thing because this country has no social mobility, and I think things like that are absolute fucking poison. There was a storyline recently where this little girl was going to go to Costa Rica. And a family are going, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do it. What, what's that good is that going to do you? You want to do this. And, and, and there was another bit where someone's going out with Derek's niece and he's saying, I want to go travelling. He said, you don't want to do that. Can't go out with my, with my daughter if you're going to go travelling. And it's just part of the story. I know it's just part of the story. Yeah. But there's this overwhelming sense of, no, no, no one leaves Albert Square. <laughs> no one that's... goes on to achieve something better than Albert Square, and if you do, and if you try, you will be punished. That's the kind of morality. And you feel that's being disseminated to the viewers of EastEnders? That is just fucking pumped out there by the BBC, by some Oxbridge cunt who has thought, well, that's the way it is with the working class. That's the way it has to be. And subconsciously, I think that's the way we want to keep them. Uh, And it's just... It's just awful. I think EastEnders does more damage than the BNP could ever do in a million years, because the BNP are a fucking joke, and and they are a straw man. When I hear comedians bang on about the BNP, how easy is that? Hmm. I mean, you're not going to find anyone in the audience that that disagrees with you, and if they do, you don't care what they think anyway. Yeah. And it's just, you really want to win points by saying Nick Griffin's a cunt? I mean, we know he's a cunt. Mm-hmm. He, he knows he's a cunt. But, you know, talk about... You know, talk about something that genuinely is affecting us. You know, like... Um, it, I just... Uh, you know, when they were trying to put through this uh, ID card scheme, you know, mm. that was just going to... To me, was the, the closest step towards fascism I think this country's ever made. I think Tony Blair's or Blair, Blair's <laughs> government was was the closest to fascism we've ever come. And uh, I know a lot of people disagree with me, but there's so much. Whatever side of the political fence you're on, there's so much around us that's real to get angry about. That when I see a so-called political com- comedian just going on about the BNP when they don't even hold any fucking seats anymore. Mm. It's like, you know, just 
get angry about something real. Mm. Do you think that's a lack of research on people? Is that is that that so-called political comedians aren't aiming high enough? I think I think that a lot of comedians who call themselves political want the audience to agree with them, and once they fall in that trap, they're not political comedians because you can't be a politician wanting everyone to agree with you. Okay, you can't be a political comedian with that mindset either sure you have to be prepared for you know if you if you're like a socialist then you have to be prepared to go to you know Wharton Bassett and Mm -hmm. (laughs) and say uh, you know I think the this fucking what we're doing in Iraq or Afghanistan is is completely wrong you have to be prepared for people to suck air through their teeth and mm. touch at you you have to be prepared if it's what you believe then you have to export it and do it you know everywhere so with relation to your comedy and the stuff that you're writing at the moment the, the saying the unsayable saying the things that, or not the unsayable but saying the things that you would naturally edit what do you see being the the end point of that what's the goal of that ultimately is that something you're doing for this show or is that a change in the way you see your your comedy from now on? Um, it's the way I'm going to do shows from now on, yeah. Uh, but it's, you know, there's two sides to comedy, isn't there? There's, this, there's being who you want to be and there's trying to make a living. Sure. Uh, so, you know, my stuff that that discusses uh, racism and it's... and discusses the sort of glib liberal attitude that we're fine there are most comedy audiences as a mindset their thing is we're fine we're not racist but there are racists out there and we want to laugh at them and what i'm trying to do is saying really are you not racist what about this have you ever done that okay and it's like you know don't be glib let's look at the darkness in ourselves and that makes people very uh, uncomfortable. Do you think there's a way to be able to do that kind of stuff in a commercial club on a Saturday night? Do you aim for doing that? Do you think anyone does that? Uh, no, I don't think you can. I don't. I really don't think you can. And I think that's where it just comes down to. Well, let's just let's just get the check in our hands and get out <laughs> the door in one piece. Although you know, I try. I do the lighter stuff. Like I discuss the girlfriend who thought every, everyone was racist except yes. her. Uh, I talk about her and, um, you know, how she used to say, I, I'm the least racist person I've ever met. And I, and I said, I don't, I don't know who's, who's uh, you know, who ought to be able to judge that. It's probably a black person and she didn't know any, so we didn't find <laughs> out. And I just play with that idea of how we like to think yes. that we're all so sorted. But, you know... There's, there's a huge number of Guardian reading, reading white people who've never spoken to a black person. That's that's the way it is, and 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 they think to themselves, well, if I ever did, I'm sure we'd get on great, and I'm sure they would, and that's brilliant. But it's I, I want to explore the fact that they, you know. So so do you feel that your your persona on stage? Is more refined now. Do you feel it's closer to what you're actually like off stage? Is it what? What's the what's the difference between? Other than the fact of performance, what's the difference between you now and you on stage? Are you very close to that, to your persona? 
Um, yeah. Yeah, I'd say it was pretty much... I mean, I go too far on stage. That's the whole point of it. You go to the point... You, you pursue an idea until it collapses. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what a lot of comedy is, and that's what I do. And so I'm saying, uh, you know, how unracist do you want to be? Do you want to be this and racist? And, and you know, up until we, we have a, a police state... Uh, arresting people for being racist, which is pretty much what Tony Blair wanted to do, and <laughs> and and that's the point, isn't it? Where it's uh, if we respect, if we truly respect each other as you know, equal in the eyes of God, then it, it you have to credit people with intelligence and 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 grant them freedom because it's like it, I, I don't want to be I, I don't want to be non-homophobic because I'll be arrested if I'm homophobic sure, I want sure. to be not homophobic because I don't want to be because yes. that's not me and we came very close to crossing that line un- under Tony Blair and these, this, the hate speech laws that he's passed but have never yet been tested mm-hmm. you know they're still on the statute books and they still threaten to turn us into a a country of people who respect one another because we have to, which is no kind of respect. Sure. I don't want to be not racist because I might be arrested. I want to be not racist because I'm not racist. And that kind of idea is kind of hard to put across sometimes. Sure. Do you think... I mean, we're talking about some quite complicated things here, and do you think it's simply that they're too complicated for the stage? Or... They're too complicated for a 20. Well, what I try and do is take that and p- turn it into a quick story about a girlfriend who was also a bit frigid and put some swearing in, and then it, <laughs> that's it. This is now palatable. <laughs> <laughs> that is the distillation, the reverse distillation process uh, by which uh, I try and forge a career. <laughs> <laughs> but it is... It is it is tough it's um but you know I don't I hope that obviously you're going to edit this down and I hope this doesn't come out sounding like I'm totally up my arse and I think I'm some sort of pioneer who's uh you know going where no one else dares to go because that's absolutely not the case I'm totally so far behind you know comics who are really genuinely brave and who I really do admire all I'm saying is that I realised it was actually easier to talk about the bit of a git that I am rather than trying to do this facade of of being Mr Liberal Lovely that, that, that everyone wants to think wants themselves to be perceived as it's just it was just easier in the end and because Every the, com- the, the 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 crowd always knows you're in a truth from the moment you step on stage. It's like I, like many of people, have said I I can't, won't, aren't allowed to play jonglers because they're stupid. Mm-hmm. And yes, they are stupid, but they're only intellectually stupid. Uh, on, on a basic instinct level, they're fucking sharp. And if you walk on the stage and you're... They, you mean the crowd, the audiences. If you step on the stage and and you're scared of them, they know instantly. And if you step on a stage and you're trying to be cheerful 
and you're not feeling cheerful, they know instantly. And if you mm. step on a stage and try to be their friend when you've got nothing in common with them, they know that instantly. And so I, I found that if I go on stage at Junglers and say, all right, <laughs> you drunken bunch of pointless, uneducated cunts, they're fine, they're absolutely fine. Because they'll laugh at that and they'll go, well, yeah, we're not going to get on in real life. Yeah. But this isn't real life. That's a really good point. And yeah. as long as you're being honest with them, yes, they respect you for that and you respect them for being able to get over that. Uh, and the relationship works. Uh, we were talking about writing for other comedians. Is that something you do? Yes, yes. Um, I've just finished uh, helping out uh, Andrew Lawrence on his uh, stand-up for the week run. Okay, is that and, and is that uh, is that public knowledge you're allowed to say that? I don't I think to I'm allowed his name to say out. that. My, okay. my name's on the credits. Oh, there we are. Fine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> cool. And he's been doing stand up for the week, so you've been... yeah. Everyone on that gets assigned some writers and okay. uh, someone with the same with, with a reasonable outlook because that sort of thing is all about you know whether you can get on with the person and uh, you see eye to eye with them. Um, before that, I I worked on uh, Henning's show. Uh, Henning knows best. Okay. Um, in which he discussed various aspects of uh, of life in Britain, mm-hmm. um, and that was interesting because <laughs> basically, if I come up with a joke that is too right wing for me to get away with saying, I I just give it to Henning, <laughs> and, okay. and he can say anything, okay, because people just think oh, he can't possibly mean it. Yes, of course, it's couched within if, that persona. Isn't if it? a German meant that, that would just be so awful. Yes, no. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, what how, what form does that take? Is it you and Henning sitting in a room in an office? What 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 does that describe that to me? Uh, it was me and him and Ken Valentine, and we used to just get together and uh, we'd have the first meeting in a pub. That was my idea uh, because I come up with so much more if I'm drunk. I mean, that's the thing about writing as well that I haven't discussed. I drink to excess if I'm writing. Okay. Uh, because that's the only way I get over my sort of blank page fear. Um, I don't drink socially anymore at all, not since the kids came. Okay, so but you drink as a writing tool? You drink alone as a writing tool? Or? Yeah, totally alone. <laughs> <laughs> at, at university, I could only write an essay if I locked myself in the toilet with a bottle of vodka, and I, it's just, I got into a habit there. Okay. And it's what I do now. Um, I feel like I should have some disclaimer if there's newer acts listening to this. This is a very unique... We urge you to try your own. <laughs> listen to your doctor's advice. Well, if, 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 if they're newer acts, they'll probably be young and they won't be set in bad habits yet. So, you know, they can avoid this. Okay. Um, but I've just... I had so... I loved university so much. There was just always so much to do. Writing an essay was just so much the last thing I wanted to do that it mm. was just... I had to. Ha- I had to reward myself. I, I work on a system of rewards. Like if I write another two paragraphs, I'll, I'll roll a spliff, or if I write another two paragraphs, I'll, I'll have another drink. Okay. <laughs> and it was just getting myself through it like that. And then was there another? And, and, but it was a race against time because I would have to finish. Well, this is it. <laughs> before I was absolutely fucked. <laughs> it would reach that point of perfection where I was just in, in a brilliant flow. And if I could just keep it there, and it would... Can I ask what, write what write class write. degree you left with? 
Oh, a Desmond. Okay, right. Totally Desmond. <laughs> I'd love you to have said a first, a clot of glistening first. Well, no, it would have been a. Do you know what? It would have been a very high two one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that I went to a Scottish university where uh, a large percentage of the final mark is uh, is continuous assessment and attendance. Ah, I see. And my attendance was fucking lousy. I did brilliantly in all the exams. Yeah. Uh, and in the essay writing, but mm. my attendance and and they even mark you on your attitude. Really? They, yeah. They does was, that not inspire you to have a worse attitude? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Doesn't does. that have a feeling that you're it's being? Like, if I can do this work without going to the lectures, surely that's mm. better. that makes me better. Better for everyone. <laughs> better for me. So when you 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 meet with uh, or you have met with uh, with Kent. And with Henning, yes. And then what's like you're throwing ideas around? Does Henning say I'm, I, this is the subject? How would that? He'd work? have a rough thing that he started with, and and we'd say, well, how about this? And we'd write around it, and um, yeah. And then I'd gradually try and get Henning to uh, do more of my stuff and less of. <laughs> <laughs> and then he'd take it away and put it in his voice. What would be the, what would the process? Be? Yeah, he'd always sort of Henningize it, of course, and it mm-hmm. would. Uh, but it was it was very it was a lot of fun and it was very very uh, rewarding to be able to say some get or you not to just get some really <laughs> quite dodgy ideas out there, sure. especially on the BBC because <laughs> it was just such I thought it was just such a breath of fresh air, someone saying mm. that sort of thing on mm. the BBC, mm. um, and yeah, it was it was made. It was made potable by him being German, um, but hopefully there'll be a second series of that because there's uh, a lot more that I think um, he can talk about. Mm. So with Andrew's stuff, are you writing topical jokes for him? Obviously, stand up for the week is a well. He's um, the, the last one is going to be this weekend. Uh, but yeah, it's it's what's uh, what's what's been in the news over the past week. But he he has to specifically do global news. Okay. So he's kind of at a disadvantage in that it's recorded at the Clapham Grand and everyone's a bit leery, and he has to kind of explain the news. Yes, I see. Before okay. he can make jokes about it, yeah. um, because they already know about Simon Cowell and they know about mm-hmm. the Voice and they know about sport, mm-hmm. but they don't know what's going on in Syria. Sure. And if you want to make jokes about that, you have to really. Show them a picture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and when what kind of process is that when you're writing with Andrew? Is that a similar sort of thing? Are you? Do you? Is it a collaborative thing? Do you send him stuff? Yeah, that's me and uh, that's me and Martin Treneman. Um, and uh, he he has a very clear. He's very um, clear about what he wants to say, and we just kind of talk around the subject and. Uh, but he's also very strict that he only ever wants to talk about one subject per episode. Okay. So we have to really mine it, and uh, that's a good idea, I think. To do you think? Yeah, he didn't want to sort. He didn't sort of want to do, you know, the sort of tabloid puff stories. Yes. He wanted to do actually meaty. Get a thing and get get some out of it. Yeah. And, yeah. Drill down as far as possible. And is that are those the only people you've you've worked with? How did you get into working with Henning in the first place? Did he approach you? Or? Um, yeah, I can't remember how I started working. I've, I've been friends with Henning for years and years. Um, 
so it kind of just happened gradually uh, but we're trying to sort of come up with a, a sort of sitcom idea from to be in mm-hmm. uh, for Henning for Henning oh yes. my god yeah. I'd love to see Henning in a sitcom I just love <laughs> Henning I just love everything about Henning yes he has a very good uh, has a very good little selling point Although you see the latest Fringe brochure, mm-hmm. it's like full of Germans now. Yes, yeah, everyone's doing a German's so, guide to this. And, and they're all that. saying, oh, you didn't think Germans could do comedy? Well, yep. it's me. Yep. Actually, we kind of did now. Yeah, we knew, <laughs> we knew. We found out a while ago. But, uh, yeah, I don't think he feels terribly threatened. Is there anything, is it ever frustrating when you're writing with someone? Is it all a really positive process? Do you go, no, you should do this, and then you get overruled? Well, uh, Paul Jackson, who uh, um, has produced many wonderful things, like uh, worked on The Young Ones and Red mm-hmm. Dwarf and League of Gentlemen, he asked Hills Barker to write a futuristic sitcom based on her fringe show, and uh, she, uh, bless her, to her eternal um, <laughs> discredit, asked me to help out on that, mm-hmm. and we just couldn't agree on anything. Okay, um, because neither of us owned it. Um, like if she'd written it and then said, "Can you improve on that?" That would have yeah. been a way to go forward. But she wanted it to be totally half and half, and it just didn't. Maybe it works for some people, mm-hmm. but it just didn't work for us. And we did like seventeen versions. We wrote so much. Mm. We wrote enough for five whole series, just trying to distill a first. God. Okay. A first episode, and when we finally got this, and they had to keep uh, extending our deadline. He gave us more money. Mm. It was like, and we just felt like we were squabbling kids in the end and and I think either one of us could have could have written a really good script yeah. it's just together the dynamic just didn't work we we just had too many ideas and we just wanted to fight for them too much mm-hmm. and I think even though that was only 2009 I think I I've grown up quite a lot since then uh, possibly from having children, but also from realizing what I'm about comedically, and you just have to go. Just stop being a dick. Mm-hmm. Stop trying to put everything you've ever thought mm-hmm. onto the page. Um, yeah, especially on episode one, That's series a, one. I, I wrote a, a sort of a sci-fi thing that for the BBC New Write BBC Seven New Writing thing, maybe four or five years ago, with my friend Hunch. Mm. And we, we were like, this is our chance. Let's put everything in this. So yes. we handed in yeah, this 15-minute yeah. sort of sitcom <laughs> pilot that had ten plots. You know, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I think that is a, a mistake to be made. You just hope you get that chance to <laughs> again yeah. to, uh, to avoid that mistake. But yeah. it's... See, I don't know. I, my lessons are always very hard-learned. It's like, you know, my first... Um, my first Edinburgh I was in the Pleasance Courtyard I may never get to be there again mm. and I did a show that was too complicated mm. uh, you know I was I, I got 20s at the comedy store much too soon mm. before I was really ready before I'd played that size crowd anywhere else and a, a couple of them weren't so great 
and I haven't been back there for a while. Why do you think that? Why do you think that was that you got them so soon? Because you had a, a flavour that was different. To because a lot you, of what they you were think seeing, you think you've got to push yourself. You've got to push yourself. And if someone says, "Do you think you'd be able to manage that?" Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. No problem. Because you don't get any kudos for going. Mm, not really ready for that yet. Yeah. No, no, you never turn down something in comedy because you think you're not good enough, do you? No, no one ever does that. Of course. <laughs> do you want to support Michael McIntyre? Yeah. You... Yeah, come back to me in two years because I think I'll be ready then. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to work, is it? <laughs> I mean, you know, you know in your hearts it would be 2,000 people just slow clapping you going, my God, my God, my God. <laughs> but do you, do you let that... No, you go, yeah, I could do that. Yeah. Probably, probably blow him off stage. <laughs> That's it. I'll cut everything. Just that. <laughs> what the hell is that? That is um, from my 2007, my first Fringe show, which mm-hmm. involved my uh, my nephew dressing up as the Black Rabbit of Inlay. From uh, Are you familiar with Watership Down at all? Oh, yeah, well, I know. I've not seen it since I was a kid, but I was familiar with it at the time. And and that show was a fucking rubbish because I made it too complicated. There was too what many was ideas. Called? It was called Health and Safety. And it was about how... I mean, that was an early... It was about how sort of health and safety culture, just being scared of everything, being so, being so very risk-averse is actually destroying our freedom mm-hmm. and destroying our humanity. Uh, but I tried to make a parallel with... Uh, in Worship Down, there's this warren called Ephrafa where they're so scared of being eaten by a fox that no-one's allowed out of the burrow. OK. And so they're like, well, we're alive, but we're not living as rabbits. Or to yes, this. sure, OK. And, and I tried to make this parallel. And it was just, I should have just done a stand-up show. Okay. About what I wanted to talk about, without trying to tie it to something that then had to be explained. Yes. Had to if be you are going to, if we're going to make a parable, then it's got to be about something that people know about already. So I fall prey to that all the time, trying to say, you know this, being, you know this thing that you don't know very well. It's kind of like this other thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Becoming mired in concept. Yeah. And so that rabbit head sits there, uh, along with the prototype up there. Nice. Uh, as a reminder. To fucking keep it simple. Um, For the benefit of the listener, this evil-looking, golden-eyed, black, feathery rabbit head is balanced on the top of a a (laughs) tiny guitar and staring constantly at Liam Malone's back as he works. (laughs) Yes, that is the black rabbit of Inlay, who who represents death, of course. Um, You will die. You will die if you don't keep it simple. That's what he says. So that was Liam Malone. I think that was another great one. Thanks for listening. Um, I, I've, I've asked Liam for a link to uh, to get tickets for the Storytelling Festival uh, for his uh, resurrection of the show A Dead Man's Hat. So I'd, I'd be fascinated to hear that. Uh, I've not got the link from him yet. So as soon as I get it, I'll put it up on the website at www.comedianscomedian.com. Uh, presumably you could also Google it if you had the wherewithal Uh, a couple of other recommendations for the Edinburgh Festival please go and see the following people Nick Helm doesn't need my help he doesn't need any recommending from me he's just he's just a genius I might yeah I I will definitely get Nick on the show before long and uh, I nearly gave something away there but I won't say that um 
Uh, Nick Helm is superb and his band are also superb. Go and see that show. I certainly will. Uh, go and see the wonderful Nish Kumar. It's his debut year, as it is for Danny McLaughlin, both very, very funny guys on their first hours this year. Uh, Mark Olver is doing a show called Dancing About Architecture, which is similar to this one, but not as good. But he has three guests, and it's a very different sort of format. Go and see Mark. He's fab. Um, Lloyd Langford, I was lucky enough to gig with uh, last weekend and have a drink with afterwards. Lloyd is just... He's just head and shoulders above so many other comedians at his level, and it won't be long until Lloyd is on household name status. Such a nice dude, and so naturally funny. The same can also be said of Mr James Acaster, so go and catch James wherever you can. Go and see Slapdash Galaxy by Bunk Puppets. Uh, This is Jeff Actum, who's an old street-performing buddy of mine, and now rightly lauded as the man who has reinvented shadow puppetry. There's no real way to describe it. It's like a junk shadow puppet show with a clown in it. It's for adults, it's for kids, it's funny, it's it, there's an incredible special effect at the end of this show. This was the guy who did uh, 3D shadow puppetry last Edinburgh in Swamp Juice, which if you missed that, he's also reprising that, I believe, at the Udderbelly. Um, top Secret Comedy with the fabulous Pete Dobbing and a variety of guests is at Whistle Binkies, Whistle Binkies nightly at 6.30pm. Uh, Simon Evans is the guy who... It was basically him that accidentally gave me the idea for the whole show, for this, this podcast. Go and see Simon Evans. He is legendarily good. I caught Sheeps. Uh, I'd not seen them before. They're, they've got their second year now. Sheeps, a brilliant sketch show with Liam Williams and some other guys, Jono and someone else. Forgive me for not remembering your name. Saw them at Latitude and I, was, I just had that incredible sense of excitement you get from seeing a new thing and going oh my god this is a new thing this is great and the same is also apparently said of ben Tarjay, and i haven't seen ben yet i've met him he's lovely and i very much like the sound of what he gets up to so that's kind of a that's only a half recommendation because i've not seen it but i'm very confidently expecting to enjoy that uh, and finally nick mohammed he's just he just tends to be the best thing i see every year at edinburgh so go and see nick mohammed it's a sequel to his mr swallow show from a few years ago that's all the recommendations. That's the show. Have a great three weeks off. Try not to dump me and go and listen to other podcasts. No, do. Listen to everything. It's fine. It's totally fine. I've got to get over that terrible comedian thing of going, only listen to my output. I'm special. Go and fill your minds with stuff. I'm going to do the same, and I'll speak to you in September. Come up to Edinburgh, spend money on tickets, go and see people who aren't on telly. Bye. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.